Georgia's DBHDD is warning all Georgians that half of all opioid deaths happen at home when people take an oxy or a perk with a glass of alcohol for stress or to sleep. Learn more about protecting families from opioid overdoses at opioidresponse.info. Here we go. We begin a brand new week on Political Rewind. And uh, if you thought the election had ended a week before last on November, oh, I'd say November 4th or by Saturday uh, that week when the networks all called the election for Joe Biden, uh, you haven't been paying attention to the news this weekend. Uh, because although Joe Biden has been declared president-elect, the uh, Trump campaign, the president himself and his surrogates are out there arguing that the election was a fraud, including what happened here in Georgia. And we're going to talk about all that and more on Political Rewind today. Before we get to that, I'd like to start on Friday. A lot of you sent a notes to me over the weekend about the interview that Jim Galloway and I did with Dr. Carlos Del Rio on Friday, who talked about Uh, As many public health experts and virologists are saying, this virus is spiraling out of control across the United States. We now have more than 11 million total cases of coronavirus in this country. uh, An increase of of, uh, 1 million in just a week as of this past week. And now more than 1 in 400 Americans have tested positive. But I thought I'd briefly give you the latest uh, data for Georgia. As of yesterday, we had uh, 1,962 new cases, over 2,000 new cases a day in the seven-day average. Uh, Hospitalizations are up. Had 1,633 people were hospitalized over a seven-day average. And the positivity rate now for testing is 10%, which is 5% higher than what um, CDC says is an acceptable level and suggests that the virus is spiraling out of control here. All that happening at the same time that uh, politicians in this country, or should I say the political leaders, the elected officials, in many cases are paying more attention to the so-called disputed election. So we'll continue to follow the virus and talk about it with panelists on the show in the weeks ahead. But today is a good day to turn and talk about what's happening here in Georgia, with the recount of votes and much more. To do that, my partner on Mondays and Fridays, Jim Galloway, the AJC's lead political writer. You read him on Wednesdays and Sundays in the newspaper. And, of course, he oversees the Political Insider blog at AJC.com. Carlos Del Rio got a lot of people more concerned than they have been, Jim, and I think for good reason. They should be, and and I would note that if you look, if you get on your smartphone and you look at the weather forecast for Georgia, uh, we are in for a cold snap, and that's going to drive more people inside closer together. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Thank you for being here as usual on Monday, Jim. Uh, We're also very happy to be joined today uh, by Kathy Cox. Kathy Cox is the dean of the Walter George Law School at Mercer University. But um, just as important as the former Secretary of State of Georgia, uh, Kathy Cox served from, what, 1999 to 2007? I think I've got that right, Kathy. And perhaps most important for this conversation, you oversaw the first conversion, if any state, to all computer voting back in 2003. Have I got the year right, Kathy? Um. 
all of that was right until the last date, 2001. 2001? Oh, so it was in use for the 2002 election. That's right. Following the Bush Okay, thank you. Gore, That's important. Following Bush versus Gore in 2000. Yeah, yeah. I should have I should have realized it. Thank you for correcting me. We're going to come back to you in just a minute, but let me also introduce Brian Robinson. He is a uh, former uh, communications director for Governor Nathan Deal and um, went on to form his own communications company, Robinson Republic. Brian also served on Capitol Hill with Congressman Lynn Westmoreland, and we're glad to have you here today. Brian, thanks for being with us. Well, thank you for having me back, Bill. I, I think it's been a long time. It's been a little while. Uh, same for your uh, partner in crime, Theron Johnson. He, uh, of course, is a Democratic political consultant. He served as a senior advisor to the Biden campaign in the state of Georgia. He's the founder and CEO now of Paramount Consulting. Theron, you and Brian, I feel very fortunate to get the two of you on this show because you do a great job, the two of you, making the rounds. And for good reason, you both have a lot of uh, really smart things to say about politics. Theron, how's your baby? He's good. Thank you. Thank you for asking. I appreciate it. And, and Bill, listen, I'm always going to have a special place in my heart for you. You gave me my start on, on TV and radio. So thank you. Yeah, okay. Well, thank you, Third. I appreciate that. All right, let's get uh, right to the latest. Um, Jim Galloway, um, we're getting close to most of the counties in the state reporting all of their recounts, the close to 5 million presidential ballots. They have until midnight Wednesday night to finish. Um, But we now know that Fulton and DeKalb have completed their counts. Gwinnett says they'll probably finish by sometime tomorrow. The elections folks out there say their people got exhausted over the weekend, and so they're going to take an extra day. We haven't heard much yet from Cobb County, but but most important, Jim, we're hearing of no significant issues, problems that have emerged in this hand recount, right? Right, right, and 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 I think it's I think it's important uh, just to note that this is following a a pattern somewhat different than election night on on November third. Uh, you've got the, you've got the big counties coming in, uh, and they're not waiting. They're 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 lay, laying down the vote, and uh, it, it it is the smaller counties that are are kind of trickling in. So I I think that's that's an important dynamic uh, if you're going if you're going to to win the argument over whether whether Georgia's elections have integrity or not. Um, Kathy Cox, um, I give us your overview from the very start of this process, if you would, please. Um, r- right away, uh, you, uh, Brad Raffensperger found himself under pressure in the days after the election, uh, being accused of, uh, of, st- of being part- a participant in attempts to steal the election for Joe Biden. He pushed back hard against those accusations. He said he was doing it with integrity. And then he ended up calling for this hand recount, an enormous undertaking. Many people feel he did that because he was finally, as a Republican office holder, giving in to pressure from Republicans in the state as well as President Trump. So how have you watched all of this unfold as someone who once held that job? It's certainly been an interesting process to watch. Um, I've never seen uh, two state officials like our two United States senators uh, take a broadside 
uh, at our state election process, uh, as did our senators at the Secretary of State, uh, and then run for cover uh, and not provide any uh, factual basis for claiming that uh, he had made mistakes or errors or, or mismanaged the election process. And, and I think he rightly pushed back on that. But uh, as the clamor continued, uh, I do think he, he sort of figured he could be pretty clever and use the new rules that did require an audit to be conducted with the new voting equipment and kind of bootstrap that into the hand recount that the Trump campaign otherwise would not have been entitled to get. Uh, you could not get a hand recount in Georgia uh, unless a court ordered it or unless there was some equipment malfunction. Uh, but the Secretary of State has used the audit process, which was required, and he had discretion in choosing the race that would be audited to give the Trump campaign what they wanted, which was a hand recount. Um, I give lots of credit to the Georgia counties who got no notice that this was going to happen on the on the of all of the ballots in the state. Their audit process had been described earlier as just a sampling, um, and it would have been on almost any other race that he had chosen. But uh, to get no notice that we were going to have to hand recount all 5 million ballots in the state was a, a Herculean task for the counties to undertake. And so I give them a lot of credit for jumping on it, getting it done, and especially the larger counties uh, who are all almost completed now. So it's been fascinating to watch, but I think because the counties uh, rose to the challenge, it has gone uh, apparently very well up to this point. We're not going to hear a final result, according to Raffensperger's office, until after all of the recount has been completed. But, but Kathy, let me ask you this other question. Um, a couple times on this show, uh, since this uh, the, since the secretary said went to the new voting machines as they prepared for the primary, you were quite critical of the fact that you felt that the secretary of state's office had not done a particularly good job helping counties uh, get oriented on the new equipment, trained on the new equipment, understood the technical issues they might confront. They had not put uh, technicians, IT people in each of the uh, polling places around the state. So you were rather critical. And of course, all that led up to June 9th, when we know what a debacle the vote was in many counties. Given all that, and leading up to this decision to call for a hand recount of every ballot, how do you now feel the Secretary of State's office working with the counties that did have real problems in June? How do you think this unfolded this time finally? Well, as it relates to the election, I, I do think June was a wake-up call uh, for the Secretary of State that he had to partner with the counties. Um, the, the, the rubber meets the road at the county level and it's a, a complete partnership between the Secretary of State, who is the, chief, the state's chief election official, and the counties who do the work on the ground. But they have to work together. And I, I think he saw that uh, in a big way after the June primary. And he did circle back, uh, provided uh, significantly additional resources, particularly technicians in every county and most precincts uh, for November, um, he helped the counties recruit poll workers. Uh, the counties got uh, 
circle together and opened new precincts to prevent longer lines. There was so much uh, work that was done to improve the process for November. Uh, and, I, and I felt much better about things uh, going to November 3rd and afterwards. The only, only criticism I would have of this recount process is that, once again, the county's got no notice. Uh, I think the Secretary of State walked out the door of the state capitol and held a press conference and announced we're going to do a hand <laughs> recount, and the, count, the counties all had to say, what? Uh, here we are. Uh, and again, it, you know, he could have called them up and said, look, this is what I want to do. What are you going to need? Uh, but he, he didn't provide the resources. Uh, the counties are all scrambling on how they pay for this because it was – uh, very expensive to provide that kind of manpower and uh, facilities and food and everything to make this happen on a short timetable. Uh, I hope that the state can provide some reimbursements to the counties to help cover this kind of expense. Um, but it, it could have been a little better partnership. But in the end, uh, I think it is working out well. And I do hope that it will accomplish what the audit is designed to accomplish, which is to give the voting public confidence that their vote totals are accurate and do conform to what the voting equipment gave them, which was a very accurate election to begin with. Uh, Brian, uh, despite what uh, former Secretary of State Cox says, um, you already we have we've known for a while now that President Trump was unlikely to be satisfied with this even the hand recount, um, and it's interesting that he has. It's mostly members of the Republican congressional delegation that have joined the president in attacking uh, what's going on in Georgia right now, and we'll talk more specifically about that in just a minute. But I want to get you and Theron and Jim into this part of the conversation in terms of is it. Is it wise right now, Brian, for Republicans in the state of Georgia to be attacking the Republican Secretary of State over the way the election has been handled? What, what's the long-term win, Brian, in dealing with it that way? <laughs> You're going to get me in trouble with this stuff, Bill. But, uh, but fine, this is the issue of, of the day. You know, one thing that I would raise is that for members of the congressional delegation and for the two U.S. senators, uh, we're talking about an election where those members of the delegation won their elections by pretty predictable margins, in some cases by very, very wide margins. And the U.S. senators both got, for the most part, the outcome that they would have wanted in on Election Day. Senator Purdue finished first on the ballot in his race, and Senator Leffler finished second uh, ahead of her Republican primary opponent. So. Uh, if we question the integrity of the election, we're going to question the integrity of elections that are good for many Republicans. You know, the Democrats thought they were going to win 16 seats in the state house, and they won what, two or three. They, they thought they were going to get much more pickups in the state senate. They got one. So, all in all, it was a pretty good night for Republicans. Uh, you know, I think that we're going through this exercise because. This is a tight election, and whenever there's a tight election, feelings and emotions run high, and somebody's going to feel cheated. And I think this audit, as the Secretary Cox said, it's expensive, it is arduous, but this is a situation where the fate of the republic to some degree hangs in the balance here, and there's a lot of questions raised, fairly or not, 
And this audit should give us a chance to give everybody a little bit more certainty. And so, you know, I think what's going to happen, though, Bill, is that they're going to keep moving the goalposts. Once the audit, you know, once the recount comes back, it'll be something else. So we'll we'll see what that is. And I do believe that Senator McConnell has said, let's let these legal cases play out. And if there's no merit, let's all agree that there's no merit and accept the final resolution of this election. One thing I would warn about the long-term consequence bill. In 2018, Stacey Abrams questioned the legitimacy of our election. She said it was stolen. She said there was voter suppression. And I wish the national media had responded the way that they are now by saying there's no evidence. She's stating without evidence these accusations. What happened in the aftermath of that? Yes, she became a national celebrity uh, and a late-night TV star, etc. But in Georgia, her approval ratings went down and Kemp's went up because people here, by and large, didn't believe what she was saying. That is a risk that we run. Thank you, uh, Bill, uh, for letting me uh, say a few words here. But first, I got to say that Secretary Cox, you not only sound magnificent, but you look fantastic. And so it's good to to, uh, hear your your voice. Um, And I want to pick up on something that the Secretary said, and I have a question for for her. But first, I want to join the Secretary uh, Cox in thanking these county you know, poll workers, county officials, and all the countless amount of people who came back, and some spent 10-hour days to make sure that these votes were, were counted. And shout-out to DeKalb County uh, for completing their, their votes over the weekend, their, their recounts. And I know that Fulton, Gwinnett, and Cobb are going to come in as well. So that's a big difference than what we hear from the Republicans about these key metro counties. But also, Secretary Cox, you, 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 you hit on something that I want to hit on, and that is – you served in the legislature. You were Secretary of State for a long time. Um, did you ever see a point where Republicans would be so supportive of an unfunded mandate? I mean, when you were coming through as Secretary of State, and Jim, you remember this, Republicans would always criticize the Democrats for, for basically pushing for unfunded mandates. And so I agree. I want to add my voice to the Secretary's uh, claim and, and push here that the state should reimburse these counties for this baseless recount that they had to endure with 10 and 12 hour days trying to make sure um, that this, uh, that the president of the United States, uh, we basically are using taxpayers dollars to fund his temper tantrum. But Bill, you didn't bring me on here to you know give Republicans advice. You brought me on here to just kind of give the democratic response. And this is it. You know, we, we won Georgia and I haven't been on the show since we've done this, and I got to be sort of careful not to get too ahead of myself, but Georgia is a blue state. We beat Donald Trump in Georgia, and I had to push back on my friend Brian Robinson to say that it wasn't a bad day for Republicans. Let's just go down the line. Not only could you uh, not reelect an incumbent president, your six-year senator is in a runoff, and he was supposed to have all this money and was supposed to be so popular. You lost a congressional seat that Rob Woodall once held. And we elected Lucy, re-elected Lucy McBath, sent Sanford Bishop, Hank Johnson uh, back to Congress, and also we sent Nakima Williams. Now, while we did not pick up as many seats in the House as we wanted, but we did pick up three, and we did pick up one in the Senate. And so the momentum is clearly, clearly on the Democrat side. But, to just, again, focus on this recount. Uh, it was really a shameful uh, how these two U.S. senators bullied 
Secretary Raffensperger, who, by the way, is a Republican. So this whole claim that there were some irregularities and fraud for him to throw the election for Joe Biden, it's just crazy. And so Brian knows, like I know, that the Republicans right now are in disarray. Where's the governor? What's the lieutenant governor? What's the speaker saying? They're not saying anything because they know deep down in their hearts they disagree with the partisan attacks that these two U.S. senators are going um, to basically try to you know, put out there to the people of Georgia. And so I think I joined the secretary in saying that I think the state should refund counties the millions and millions of dollars that they are spending. And more importantly, I want to thank the people who spent tens of hours, you know, days um, on this baseless hand recount. You know, it, um, if if I could jump in here and, and kind of draw us back to the the uh, the election itself and 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 the question of integrity, uh, Brian, you, you had you had mentioned that uh, that that Stacey Abrams had 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 uh, had accused uh, uh, Brian Kemp of uh, voter suppression during in the aftermath of the, uh, the November election, but I, I election, but I think it needs to be pointed out that that uh, uh, she 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 elicited no response. From the Secretary of State, who was serving the temporary replacement for Kemp when he was uh, after he was uh, uh, named uh, won the governorship, uh, uh, and they did go through the courts with a with a with a massive action that's still pending, uh, and and they are making slow changes. But the, 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 here is here is the danger that that is being caused by 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 Trump and by the people who who follow him, and that is look. People conceding has kind of gone out of style. We know that. It's it's look. Uh, uh, you can name Stacey Abrams. You know I can go to to Matt Collins, who is who, the the late Matt Collins, who has yet to concede uh, in a U.S. Senate race against Johnny Isaacson. Uh, so so it it happens. That's that's not the problem. It's not matters is manners isn't the problem. The problem is that the process of the transition has been stopped cold. That we have no we have no handoff coming uh, going on between Donald Trump and Joe Biden specifically on the very very dangerous issues of COVID nineteen and national security. Uh, when when Brian Kemp was elected governor in in, in twenty eighteen, he he wasn't he wasn't blocked. He was he 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 got a very smooth hand handoff from from Nathan Deal, if I'm not mistaken. That's where it, that's where the danger is. Um, Kathy, do you want to weigh in on that? And then I want to ask you about a, a, the, the latest accusations from the Trump uh, White House. But go ahead first. Well, I, I think I agree with a lot of what everybody has said here. Um, but what we need to think about is that this is not the end of the road with this audit process. Um even though this has been called frequently a recount, it is an audit. And once this is finished on Wednesday night, the Trump campaign, Trump as a candidate, is still going to be entitled under Georgia law to a recount. And given what they're doing in Georgia, given what the Trump campaign is doing around the country, I fully expect they're going to ask for a recount uh, as a matter of delaying the inevitable result, um, and they're going to be entitled to that. Now, a recount under Georgia law would be a rescanning on the scanning machines of all the ballots, but that will still take another couple of days to do a recount after the vote totals are certified. But if you have a margin of difference less than one-half of one percent 
in the election total, the losing candidate is entitled to a recount. That's completely separate from the audit that we have just we are just about to complete. All right, let's do this. Um, we got a lot more to talk about, uh, and I want to talk a little bit more about the latest salvos that are being fired by the Trump campaign at Georgia, which they claim makes this uh, manual recount not, in fact, valid. We'll get to that and a lot more after these messages. Thanks for listening to Political Rewind. If you like this show, you'll also like Georgia Today. It's a daily podcast from GPB News, bringing you compelling stories and in-depth reporting that you won't hear anywhere else. Join me, Peter Biello, for this quick and convenient way to get the best of GPB News' extensive coverage of the topics that matter to you, delivered directly to your device every weekday afternoon. Former Secretary of State Kathy Cox, Jim Galloway, Theron Johnson, Brian Robinson join us for today's show. Um, Kathy, I want to play for just a minute the latest accusations. We, you know, when 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 Brad Raffensperger announced this uh, hand recount, uh, several of us on this show said that that's not going to satisfy the, the uh, uh, White the Trump campaign. And and Brian's already said himself on this show they're going to keep moving the goalpost. So here is the latest. I'm going to play. There was so much. Fox News this weekend had um, one show after another. uh, Maria Bartiromo interviewing Rudy Giuliani. He talked about fraud in Pennsylvania and Georgia. Um, They talked about fraud in key states, including Georgia, throughout the weekend. And and I want to play just a minute or so. I don't want to play much of this stuff um, because there's no factual grounding in virtually any of it. But I do want to play just about a minute or so of uh, our Doug Collins, Congressman Doug Collins, on uh, Judge Janine's show on Saturday night, in which he talks about why the president keeps tweeting that the hand recount in Georgia isn't really going to be meaningful. So you'll uh, hear this uh, sound and we'll talk about what the latest charges are. We do have a problem down here, and you've mentioned it uh, briefly before, and that is this consent decree down here that basically gutted our signature verification process and basically opened the door for potential fraud. Okay, so that is, in fact, the subject of a lawsuit uh, where the Secretary of State, Brad Raffensperger, is sued in his capacity as Secretary of State, and it's saying that that, uh, Raffensperger, who's an avowed anti-Trumpist, agreed with Stacey Abrams to uh, interfere with uh, the the ballots and how they're counted. Two things actually happened. Number one is it made it basically a self, they limited it now to where you had to verify the signatures. But under the consent decree, it actually outlined the fact that any signature would do, meaning that the same person who would send in a a ballot, a request for a ballot, could actually have that signature matched to the ballot that they received. That's actually not a verification that's actually useful in the long term, because if it doesn't match the original person's uh, signature on the original uh, registration to vote, then you've got a problem. But with this, it's just a problem. All right. So, Jim, that is the basis for a lawsuit that's now been filed by Lynn Wood, uh, a pro-Trump attorney uh, here in Atlanta. And uh, by the way, Judge Janine 
uh, calls uh, Raffensperger an avowed anti-Trumper. Uh, he won Trump's endorsement for the job of Secretary <laughs> of, of State. And, of course, she took it an extra measure. It's not just the anti-Trumper Brad Raffensperger. He was working in collusion with Stacey Abrams. We know that's trouble, Jim. <laughs> well, 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 first of all, that the consent decree that she signed, uh, Raffensperger wasn't a party to that. Uh, actually, Chris, the Attorney General Chris Carr's uh, uh, signature was was at the bottom of, of that that and and basically what the Trump campaign is complaining is about is is that the votes are being recounted but no no one is re-examining the signatures and matching them to the ballots cast well the system is set up so that you specifically so you cannot do that you cannot name uh, because we have secret ballots in the United States you cannot match a person walking into a poll polling station to the vote that he or she casts. Likewise, you can't do it with an absentee ballot. Jim's exactly right. That you, There's no way you would want the absentee ballots at this stage to be connected to the person who cast them. So the people uh, like Congressman Collins who are talking like this really don't understand the process and are completely misleading everyone about what happens in a recount or an audit because you don't even go back to the signature stage in these kind of processes. But the lawsuit does attack the signature verification that happens when absentee ballots come in the mail. And it also really seems to not understand the process. The lawsuit seems to claim that they're looking for a place or a way that the signature matching is not arbitrary, when in fact, this lawsuit uh, settlement made the signature matching less arbitrary because it provided for more than one set of eyes to be required on a signature match, which is not an exact science, before a ballot could be rejected over a signature that didn't look exactly the same. More than one person had to okay that before you could reject a ballot. There, there are a lot of other issues with the lawsuit, uh, in my opinion, not the least of which is this settlement happened way back in the spring. So this procedure has been there for months and months. And to, to now, after the fact, after you've lost an election, complain about the procedure is the legal document we call latches, which means you've waited too late to bring a claim. You could have brought this before the election at any time to complain about the procedure. Now for a judge to use this and disenfranchise millions of Georgia voters who followed a legal procedure uh, would be highly unusual, in my opinion. You know, Brian, I know you're... Go go ahead. Well, I want to talk a little bit about what the, the host of that clip said, that Raffensperger is an avowed anti-Trumper. The opposite is the case. Not only is Raffensperger a fan of the president, he was a fan of the president going back to 2015, back before everyone was on board. He was an early joiner of the Trump train and a maxed-out donor to Trump in 2016, and his family gave a significant contribution to Trump again this year for 2020. He is a huge Trump Fan. And he has said on the record uh, last week in the media, look, I wish he were winning Georgia. You know, that is my wish. 
Uh, and uh, but he goes, but I'm, but I'm going to follow the law, and I'm going to count the legal votes, and, and we're going to investigate every claim of fraud that there is. But I talked with a Republican who is who was involved in that consent decree, and he made a partisan Republican argument for why that was uh, moved forward. They were concerned about Democratic counties, say Fulton or DeKalb, throwing out the ballots of older voters whose signatures sometimes change with age. So it was about re- uh, protecting some of the senior vote, which, of course, at this juncture in Georgia, leans toward the Republicans. Yeah, you know, Theron, jump in. I, I think Kathy and Jim, you guys did a wonderful job of just really explaining to the listeners, you know, what what this all really means. And it's so confusing. But at the end of the day, none of this stuff matters. It doesn't matter how many allies, you know, Trump marches out on his behalf. It won't change the simple fact that on January 20th, 2021, Joe Biden will be sworn in as president of the United States of America. You know, Republicans have spent the last decade making voting as secure, and they always use that word secure as possible, typically making it harder uh, for people to vote, uh, despite the fact that people were kicked off the rolls, people were purged. Uh, Let's not forget that people were being falsely rejected uh, for their signatures, and despite every other roadblock, we were still able to win in this state as Democrats. And so, you know, go all the way back into 2002. We have been preparing for this moment, Bill, for 18 years. And Secretary Cox remembers that year. That's a pivotal year for Democrats. And, yes, Secretary, I was a little young whippersnapper back in 2002 at 24, running Michael Thurman's re-election campaign for labor commissioner. So I've been fighting for 18 (laughs) years to be able to come on your show, Bill, and say that Georgia is a blue state. I don't care what Brian has got to say about which, you know, U.S. Senator, which Republican wants to tell us how much money they've gave to Trump, how much they love Trump, how many love letters they've written to Trump. Who cares? He needs to get out of the White House unless, as Democrats, start the process of uniting this country and uniting this state. So it's interesting, Jim, that Theron talks about 18 years ago, which would mean the 2002 election. Uh, We've talked on this show about going back to 1992, uh, the election in which Bill Clinton won the state of Georgia and became the last Democrat until Joe Biden to win uh, the state of Georgia. But, Jim, when he talks about 2002, we're talking about the, the beginning of the changeover from a democratically dominating state, governor all the way through all the constitutional officers in the legislature. It all began when Roy Barnes was defeated by Sonny Perdue. Right, right. Yeah, that was that was that was a definitely a red wave. I would I would I would us us older geezers can even take you further back to nineteen eighty when Matt <laughs> Mattingly beat beat Herman Talmadge because because of the rise of two counties uh, that suddenly went all Republican, Cobb County and Gwinnett County, and what's happening now? Mm-hmm. Uh, the 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 suburbs the suburbs of Atlanta aren't the, aren't the white flight territory that they were in 1980. Uh, uh, an interesting figure, uh, and it's just maybe a couple of years old, but but something close to 90 percent of African Americans who live in Metro Atlanta live in the burbs. And now we have now we have uh, Gwinnett and Cobb again changing the table. Yeah, and, and Jim, Kathy, I'm so, of I'm, course, Jim, I'm so happy you said Go that. Ahead, you know, I've been telling Brian, and he knows this because you know he he lives up in Brookhaven, 
with a three-car garage and a manicured lawn. But newsflash <laughs> to Republicans, newsflash, and Jim said it, not all black people live in the city of Atlanta. There are a lot of non-white Democratic voters who live in these suburban areas. And when the numbers are all counted and we look at sort of the analysis, that's where we dominated. That's how we won Georgia is because we were able to pull together a lot of disaffected Republicans and build what I like to call this new Biden coalition. And it's a broad coalition of different voters. But I'm so happy you said that, Jim, because some Republicans don't believe black people can afford to live in the suburbs. Kathy, as long as uh, Theron uh, brought this all up, reflect for us for uh, uh, with us for a moment on this. Uh, you're being right in the middle watching that 2002 uh, changeover begin to take place when Sonny Perdue shocked Georgia by beating uh, Roy Barnes, uh, who lost his reelection bid, and uh, in which the dominoes began falling one after the other. Legislators who switched parties till the fact that we had a Republican-dominated legislature, the constitutional offices all became, uh, fell into the hands of Republicans. So reflect on that and what you see as, a, as someone who ran as a Democrat when you were running for Secretary of State. It was a pretty bleak period for those of us who held office as uh, Democrats in those years. Um, the election night in 2002, of course, we were... Uh, on pins and needles, because that was when we did roll out the first uh, electronic voting in Georgia. So my focus was mm. very much on making sure the equipment worked. Um, and uh, there were a lot of people nationally who said, you know, it was rigged, and that's why Max Cleland lost the election, um, and Roy Barnes. And um, But at, it was really... We were one of the last southern states to move and have a Republican governor, um, and you, the dominoes really began to fall. I mean, it was immediate in terms of, of legislators flipping seats right after that for the upcoming session so that they would be aligned with the governor's party, um, and hopefully, uh, I guess their thought was to be aligned for the largesse of the governor's office. And then, of course, in 2006, uh, it was a, a, almost a Republican tidal wave to wipe out the rest of, of the Democratic office holders. Um, some of us, like myself uh, particularly, were not sure we'd live long enough to see Democrats come back to life in Georgia. So um, this election <laughs> year has been pretty doggone exciting uh, for some of us. Uh, but it, we know it hasn't been an overnight thing. It has been a lot of people working in the trenches and uh, watching the demographics change in Georgia and, and watching uh, a whole lot of things happen uh, and, and seeing a lot of Republicans acknowledge that they knew this was coming um, but didn't know whether it would be this, this year, uh, 2022 or 2024. Um Let's do this. Let's get our final break of the show out of the way. I want to come back, and I'd love to change the subject and talk a bit about these Senate runoffs and put them in the context of all that's been going on in terms of the controversy that the Trump campaign has created uh, about the stolen elections here in Georgia. We'll do that in just a moment. (laughs) 
couple of quick program notes. Um, we've talked a lot uh, about what's happening to Democrats in this state right now as a result of the victory of Joe Biden in the Georgia presidential contest. We have a really interesting show lined up for later this week. On Thursday, Saxby Chambliss and Sam Olins will be here to talk about what they see as the future of the Republican Party in Georgia, uh, how the events that are unfolding now in terms of the Trump attack on the Georgia political process may uh, shape what happens in the future here. So we're looking forward to that show. And then Monday, Jim Galloway and I get a real treat. Former United States Senator Sam Nunn will be here. And Jim, you and I get the chance to talk to Sam Nunn about how he sees the dramatic changes going on. But also, Jim, as you know, even better than I, because I was not here yet, Sam Nunn understands what it's like, the dynamics of what's going on with our Senate races here pretty well, Jim. Oh, right, right. And and he knows what he, he knows what it is to be in the majority, and he knows he, he can guess what it's like to be in the minority. I'm not sure that he ever was. <laughs> yeah. I think he left before that. <laughs> All right. I think that's exactly right. All right. Um, let's turn to the two runoff races. And, um, Brian, let me give you a chance to start on this, because I think you're feeling a little outnumbered. Uh, on the show today, you are hey, holding up the Republican yeah, banner, yeah. <laughs> but but that's all right. You 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 can more than handle yourself, Brian. Um, th- there are those who say that one of the reasons that the Trump people are ginning up this uh, controversy, which doesn't seem to have any basis in reality, is to keep people energized to vote for Republicans in the Senate runoffs. Kelly Leffler and David Perdue. Uh, does that seem to be? Uh, 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 is that is that smart, uh, or could it just as easily energize Democrats to turn out and uh, express their anger at the way all this is unfolding? Let, let me be, be frank, Bill. I don't think this has anything to do with the Senate races. I think this has to do with President Trump's campaign and his campaign only. Um, the best way for him to rev up the Republican base and spur turnout for Senators Leffler and Purdue is to come down here and do a rally or two, uh, particularly like they did during the general, hitting some you know rural areas that they did in Rome, one in Macon, where they have a large rural area around it where people would come in. Those were highly effective, and that is the best way to do it. You know, I am concerned that we are causing a split within the party with this debate ongoing. You know, the people being targeted by the attacks are Republicans. You know, all of our statewide elected officials are Republicans. We've seen not only Brad Raffensperger, but also Chris Carr and Governor Kemp uh, become the target of some of these accusations. And, uh, you know, those figures are fairly popular or have been in Georgia with Republicans. And so we do risk having a divide going into this runoff, which concerns me greatly. We need unity. The importance of those two Senate seats remaining in Republican hands when the majority of the Senate uh, is at stake is hugely important. So I hope that we can move past this in the next few weeks and then uh, move toward a unified message about putting a check on Joe Biden and Nancy Pelosi in Washington. You know, uh, Bill, I'm going to agree with Brian on this a, a, a little bit. Uh, I, I, I don't think this is uh, criticism of, of this election uh, in Georgia by Georgians 
isn't isn't an offensive tactic. It's I I I, I as as an offensive ta- tactic, I think it's a pretty poor one. What it is is defense, very much defense on a very personal uh, level by David Perdue, by Kelly Leffler, uh, by by everyone who uh, all of all of these members of Congress who who, who want a future. They can't afford to be on the wrong side of a Trump tweet right now, and and it looks like they won't be able to be on the wrong side of a, a Trump tweet next February, June, and uh, and next November. Yeah, I, that 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 does seem to be true. That the Trump grip on the party is not going away anytime soon. Uh, Theron, uh, we learned last night that David Perdue has refused to participate in an Atlanta press club debate with John Ossoff. It's the second time that Purdue was uh, turned down a debate. He was supposed to debate Ossoff a couple days before the general election at WSB-TV and decided not to, to instead to go uh, rally with uh, President Trump, who came down here just a few days before the election. Um, And I would argue, Theron, that debates don't make a candidate, I don't think. I mean, I do understand debates can change uh, the dynamic of a campaign, but certainly there's more to a David Perdue, a John Ossoff, than just the debates. That said, Theron, when you think about the way in which John Ossoff manhandled David Perdue in the debates that they did have uh, uh, before the general election, it, it may be a fairly smart move in some ways for Perdue not to uh, uh, go against Ossoff again. Ossoff kind of came into his own in a way we hadn't seen before. And Purdue's not the greatest of debaters. Theron? You know, Brian has heard me say this uh, for a few months now, and that is that John Ossoff is on fire right now. Um, If I was running against John Ossoff for office, I would not want to debate him right now because not only does he have this ability with his cadence and his diction and and sort of laser-light focus to really – hone in on sort of two, the two David Perdue, you know, the David Perdue who when President Trump was elected, he was his chief defender and chief promoter. And now someone who's trying to distance himself a little bit from this unpopular president in Georgia and, and Donald Trump, as far as being able to get the moderates and independence that he needs to ultimately try to be victorious. And so what John Ossoff has got the ability to do now, Bill, is that you already see his campaign not only they launched a really effective ad today, um, sort of giving the Georgia voters a chronological timeline on what Donald Trump was saying and what David Perdue was saying as this deadly pandemic continued to basically kill Americans and people were becoming um, affected with this, this deadly disease. But also, I think that John Ossoff now will be able to figure out a way to continue to get earned media at a time when we know that David Perdue and the Republicans are going to have millions and millions of dollars. And so John Ossoff right now, I think, knew that David Perdue likely was not going to debate him. But I would tell you this, and I want to call balls and strike. The Purdue campaign team, and Brian knows this, he's got a lot of experienced people over there working with him. It's got to be something in the data. It's got to be something in their overall plan of why they chose not to uh, commit to the debate in which John Ossoff challenged the, the incumbent U.S. senator uh, to in this campaign. So I wouldn't get too happy, but I do well, think that David Perdue is on the defense right now. Well, Kathy, you know, David Perdue did get almost 100,000 more votes than John Ossoff in the general election. Let's not forget that. Well, certainly he did. Uh, and, and I agree that a debate doesn't necessarily make or break a candidate, but 
the Purdue record is really curious. He's got six years of never having held a town hall meeting. Uh, I just can't remember when we've had a U.S. senator that was as removed from the public uh, as he has been. Uh, when I was serving as president of Young Harris College, I used to host town hall meetings for Senator Isaacson, who wanted to come up and, and be out in the public and talk to people and take their questions. Um, and that's sort of part and parcel of being a public servant and being a U.S. senator. And uh, that's never been uh, anything that Senator Perdue has offered to the voting public. So I, I think that is more damaging to him than uh, the mere fact of turning down a debate. Yeah, um, Bill, let me pose a question to both Brian and to Theron. Uh, and, and that is what we've seen over the over over the last week or so. It really, it's since November third, we've seen uh, John Ossoff and Raphael Warnock pair up as kind of a ticket. Uh, uh, Purdue and Leffler, when they fired that broadside on, on uh, against Brad Raffensperger, they were acting in tandem as a ticket. Uh, what what are, what are the advantages and the pitfalls? Of, of each, because I think you know, it looks like we're we're headed for a situation where we have two Democrats win or two Republicans win on on January five. Brian, why don't you take it first? I think what that is, Jim, is a reflection of how tribalized the electorate is. I think they're making a calculation. We can't separate ourselves from our fellow partisan on the ballot. Anybody who comes in to vote for me is going to vote for the other person in my party and vice versa. So we're just going to jump off the plank holding hands and see what happens. And I think that's going to be true on both sides. I would imagine that uh, you're going to see some of the Democrat national groups begin to save dollars by attacking both Leffler and Purdue in single commercials, doing it at once. You know, um, obviously the Democrats have been obsessed with the stock trade issue from back in the spring. I can see them doing an ad about that or doing an ad where they make the fatuous assertion that Republicans don't care about people with pre-existing conditions, another uh, trope of the Democrats these days. Yeah, for, Let for me give Sarah time, a chance. Bill. Yeah, no problem. I, I agree with Brian. I think the good news for Democrats, though, is that if you just look at the energy – and just, you know, if you look at the two candidates on our side, I mean, they represent the future. And if you just look at the, the crowds that are getting in places like Cobb County and all over the state, I do think the two of them together is definitely going to ultimately help the Democratic ticket. And let's not also forget we have Daniel Blackman, uh, who's also a Democrat who's in a runoff for the PSC as well. We are just about out of time uh, for today's show. Theron Johnson, Brian Robinson, Jim Galloway, uh, great having you here. And Kathy Cox, it's such a pleasure to have you on the show today as well. And, you know, it reminds us, I think, all of us who observed way back uh, when you were Secretary of State, the rather flawless transition you made uh, from the uh, previous system of voting in this state to a brand new statewide system, first in the nation, of computerized uh, voting uh, it, it holds up pretty well as we've watched things unfold this year. So thank you, Kathy Cox, for being here with us today. That's it. We're uh, out of time for a political rewind. We're back again, of course, with a new show again tomorrow as we enter week 35 of doing the show uh, from uh, sheltering in place. I'm Bill Nygut. Uh, until tomorrow, take care, stay healthy, wear a mask, get a flu shot. See you all tomorrow. <laughs>